Downloads of the show are available at Podomatic.com or the Podomatic mobile app. You know, I was, I was wondering, you know, if you could keep... Hey, kids. You are listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, and this show is Fish Out of Agua with Michelle Carlo. Today is Tuesday, October 23rd, 2018. Yep, summer is over in New York City, kids. We went right from it being 80 degrees around the beginning of the month till it being almost freezing. Well, there's a cool breeze coming through my window, and it kind of makes me want to get up and dance. So I'm going to put on one of my favorite songs from my well-spent youth. One that I just can't get enough of. Woohoo! And we're back. 
with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. That was Michael Jackson with Don't Stop Till You Get Enough from his Off the Wall album back in 1979. Yeah, I told you, a song from my well-spent youth. <laughs> well, we're going to jump ahead about 35 years in music right now, um, thanks to our guest artist who has picked all current music and picked this song to open their episode. back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. Oh my God, I know that song, and I love that song. I just never knew who did it. 
I love when happy accidents like this happen. And I didn't even have the Pandora it. It's right in front of me. That was Sigma featuring Paloma Faith with Changing from the Life album in 2015. Okay, well, maybe not current current, but a lot more current than 1979. <laughs> well, um... Wow, I don't know what else to say right now, except that I am excited to get to our guest artist, and I bet you are too. So, all right, kids, without further ado, now it's time for my favorite part of the show. Whoa, whoa. Everybody, welcome to Fish Out of Agua's Guest Artist of the Week. Woo-hoo. I'm sitting here with um, someone who I've really grown to appreciate and love over the time that I've known him. Storyteller, producer, writer, and probably so much more, Danny Ortiz. Hello. So the first question that I ask everybody when we begin our chat is, how and where did we meet? So we met... Because I don't remember. I no, and... and, and and I think that's the sign of a good friendship when you don't really remember when you just sort of knew there was a time you weren't friends and a time you are friends. But uh, to the best of my recollection, it was um, because our mutual friend Robin Gelfandine. Yes, who w- will be on a future episode of Fish Out of Agua. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, she uh, brought me to um, one of your shows, the Fish Out of Agua show. Um, I don't remember what theater. I remember the seats were red and like folding <laughs> theater seats um and before the show even started uh a little boy got his foot stuck in the back of the chair and he was really panicked and crying and his mom couldn't pull him out because the more she tried to pull the more it hurt and so i actually like reached in between the seats and like loosened his foot to like i freed him from the seat oh my god um, and, that, and then the show started <laughs> you're a guardian angel and <laughs> i had no like that. knowledge that no, that was you going were backstage on. prepping and so yeah and so then um I, I got to see your show. It was part of a festival. I do remember yes, that. Yes, and I think I know what festival. I think it was the one festival in 2014. Yeah, that and the theater about right. was the Crane Theater. Yes, because I was yep. just entering storytelling at all and just meeting people. Uh, it yeah, was so, new to me. So, so that's so like a that little over four years ago. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I see. And for some reason, I thought we knew each other longer. No, I, wow. I haven't known storytelling people so much longer newbie. than four well, or five years. We're yeah. going to find out all about it. But Excellent. what I want to know now is, um, this is the question that one New Yorker always asks another. And I know you're not really a New Yorker, but I'm, <laughs> you are. Depending on yeah. your definition. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, where are you from? So I'm originally a California native. Oh, uh, So okay. I grew up in Southern California in Orange County, uh, just south of L.A. Um, but I've been here now for about 14, 15 years. Well, okay. Yeah. Wow. Did you um, come from a performance or education-oriented family? Being that you were in California and so Cal- <laughs> Isn't everybody in the industry out there? Um, well, Orange County is very different than L.A. Uh, you know, Disney was the prime, the, the number one uh, employer uh, in mm. my area. But um, 
Not exactly. Uh, my mom had sung in high school, but uh, sorry, mom, 32 years of smoking had kind of ruined her voice. Oh, my God. And she couldn't sing anymore, but it didn't stop her from doing it. Um, and, and more so than specifically being a creative family, because I don't think either of my parents would say that they uh, at least professionally were creative and not even necessarily hobby-wise, but they gave me very free reign to try just about anything. So, I mean, by the time I was 10, I had taken dance classes. I had taken tennis, painting, um, gymnastics, figure skating, uh, any, any drama, like just any number of different classes. They would just let me try things out. Wow. So, so they were very permissive, if not specifically in one direction. Did yeah. you have siblings? Nope, just me. Just also, oh, you just were me. indulged. Yeah, I was, I, you know, and I, it, it, there's always that worry of the sort of spoiled only child. And I wouldn't say spoiled, but I would say that my parents did, you know, they did provide uh, with a lot of opportunity and, and, and chances to try things. Um, and so I'm extremely grateful. I never wanted uh, or needed for anything, and they were supportive. But it, I, I wasn't in, you know, like a, a golden throne of a bed or anything like <laughs> So um, being that you were so indulged, I'm going to assume that your parents are not immigrants. <laughs> um, that is uh, that is true. That, that, that they're, they're in... probably first or second generation themselves. That, that it's your grandparents that came here from whatever. Well, okay, so on my dad's side, I think it was his great-grandfather who came over. Um, my mom, it, it's a little trickier because my mom's adopted. Mm. Um, and so, you know, lineage, there's genealogical, and then there's the, the family that she grew up. So right. I, you, you could kind of argue either way. So, Nature and nurture. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't actually know where, how far back uh, it would be in her family. But they're not, they, they didn't come here from someplace else. They, no, were, they were born no, here. I'm, Do you know what part of Italy your father's family came from? Sicily. Sicily! Yeah, yeah. Oh, the we, best. We went to uh, visit, actually, when I was 12. I remember very clearly as a child looking at a picture of my dad in my grandma's house that I did not know was my dad. I spoiled the ending there. Uh, I looked at a picture of this little, what I, it, I thought was a biracial child, and I, I said, I didn't know we had a you know, a mixed race relationship in our family. Who, who is this? Who are the parents? <laughs> and it was, a, it was a black and white picture. So it was grayscale mm -hmm. and he was closer, you know, darker on the grayscale than lighter. Uh, and it was my dad. And, you know, and I, I hadn't met my dad until he was in his late thirties and for, you know, when I came along and so he had less hair, it wasn't as voluminous and dark anymore, you know, all that kind so of different afro things. basically. <laughs> it, was it was just a, a big puff of hair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I don't look like that at all. Yeah, to your point, I, I put on sunscreen to go to the corner store. Yeah. That is, that is, I love stories like that. It's so funny. But no, I, the reason why I asked that question is because I've interviewed a lot of people who are basically first-generation Americans. Their yeah. parents were immigrants. And a lot of times it's very different. You're like, no, you're not taking piano. No, you're not yeah. taking this. No, you're going to learn this and you're going to make money. Yeah. You know, so f I think that ec on the economic scale, I think once you're more comfortable, you allow exploration more. Mm -hmm. And when you feel like you have something to prove and you, you need to focus on, on, like, survival. It's an economic thing. Yeah. It's not a racial thing sure. or an ethnic background well, thing. It's totally an economic class thing. And my parents were a little bit older. I mean, at this day and age, people are having kids the age that my parents were. But... Uh, at that time, 30-something years ago, uh, my, my parents were old for having kids. I Would mean, you consider your parents like classic baby boomers? Were they hippies? Um, hippies might be a bit of a stretch. I have this inkling. Um, I said, sorry, Mom, now I'll say sorry, Dad. I have this inkling that at one point my dad did live in a house in San Francisco with nine or ten people. Mm. My, my mom did more than once as a child um, refer to the TV show Family Ties um, and sort of 
wonder if they were as sort of like loose and how did they end up with what my mom called an Alex B. Keaton of a kid. Now, granted, pr politically progressive and queer and all this stuff, but uh, play it safe, follow the rules, uh, relatively old-fashioned in a lot of uh, social interactions. And so my mom did joke a little bit that <laughs> they were like the parents on Family Ties and they got a little Alex B. Keaton, which is not 100% fair, but I get what she was saying. Well, you see, this is, this is interesting because my next question was going to be after you told me that you have, were taking all these creative, artistic t dance and other classes, I was going to ask you, were you the kind of kid that ran around with a hairbrush singing? Were you the kind of kid that made your own puppet theater shows? Did you, like, write plays and, and act them out with your stuffed animals? Yes, to almost all <laughs> of the above. I, yeah, I, I was a ham. I was definitely a ham. Um, so you were a performer from the get-go? Yeah, so th this is a, a very brief snippet of a, a story that I've told longer. But um, one day while driving in the car with my mom, uh, and I grew up on Andrew Lloyd Webber musicals and the oldie station, so like Beach Boys and stuff like that. Um, I, you know, She was like clapping along to the beat on the steering wheel, and I was clapping along with my hands, and I was offbeat, and my mom was absolutely terrified. And so she put me in dance class, and I was two and a half years old. Like, this was like a problem that had to be resolved. So you were clapping on the backbeat, and she or was something. like, my son is not going to do or this. Or not even on the beat. Yeah, I don't. And so uh, I started taking jazz dance class uh, at a lunch oh program in my school God. when I was two and a half years old. Jazz um, dance, jazz hands and everything? Yeah, yep. Is there yep. a picture of you with jazz hands at that age? Not so much jazz hands, but spandex uh, outfits. Yes. And yes. I, <laughs> wait, toddler spandex? <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, like bike my. shorts. Like bike shorts. Okay. You know? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did pretty much with, with dance, and then once, but once I found out, drama was a thing and then yes that a little bit and I would I would charge my parents you know 25 cents to come see my show really what I would do in the living room with sheets as curtains and, yeah oh absolutely so were these these were plays that you wrote were they musical plays or were they I don't think um, it was that structured okay I, it was it was somewhat planned goofing around and then when we got a camcorder oh, got I would make my dad film these movies that I oh my god that's right these, and, you know, that's right yeah. video yeah so you basically did your own episodes of Danny's Got Talent. <laughs> With a question mark at the end. Danny's Got Talent? <laughs> so when you were in school, then you, you gravitated towards um, the drama, the theatrical side, or the visual arts side? Not the visual arts, no. Um, definitely the performing, uh, creating, writing, that kind of a, a side of things, not the visual Were you able to do that in all your schools, like the primary school, middle school, and high school? Um, at least at an after-school program, yeah. I think pretty, pretty much from fifth grade on, fifth grade was the first time that there was actually like a drama offering of any sort uh, from then on, yeah. One of my favorite people in the world uh, to this day is my high school drama teacher, Miss Lori. I go see her every time I go home. Really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, what were some of the shows you were in? Um, well, let's see. So here, here we're, what we did was we, our program was different than a lot of schools because you did not audition for the show. You auditioned for the theater arts class that put on the shows, and we were like a little theater company. So we would do all of our own costume sets, and it was the same group of us, like 15, like a 20 theater company. The yeah, yeah, well, we really were. So a teenage she would, theater company. She would direct and choose the shows, but we did almost all of the rest of it. Um, so you, everybody learned different aspects? Like yeah, you, like you learned lighting crews. design, you learned audio, yeah, yeah. stage? It, you, would, wow. you could kind of pick which ones you wanted to do most of all. But yeah, we would do the different pieces plus be in the shows. But the, the best thing, and, and truly this is part of the story of how we got to storytelling, uh, ultimately, and of course everything we ever did. In addition to the scripted shows, one show each year was all student written sketches. And so we got to write our own material and cast it and perform it and and so that really like propelled me in a direction of 
of writing and being interested in. So you found that, that you were you were just as interested in the writing and creating aspect as you were in the performing and acting aspect. Within a few years, yes, I went to college with uh, with a major in acting, and within oh. one year, I said, "This isn't right," and switched to creative writing. Wow! Well, and yeah. where did you go to college? Uh, first in San Francisco, and then I finished up in New York. That's when I moved here, was to uh, do the second half of Oh, okay, college. that's right. Yeah. You said you've been here for 15 years, so then you moved here, I guess, shortly after 9-11? Yes. Wow, yeah. and what was what was the reason for you coming to come to New York? Was it the school? Did, well, did you have, like, a dream of living in New York when you were younger? Yeah, at four years old, I knew I wanted to be in New York. Really? Yeah. And what precipitated that? Because a four-year-old doesn't necessarily know what New York <laughs> no, is. No, I didn't fully know, but I knew it was the place to go. How did you know that, there was, that New York existed? Did your parents bring you here? <laughs> well, did, did you have relatives here? I came here for the first time when I was nine, but um, my parents did. So when I said they didn't grow up in California, they grew up in Connecticut. Oh, so okay. Not, oh, so they're East Coast. Really far. Oh, yeah, they're East Coast, yeah, um, okay. At least in childhood they were. So, um, yeah, and I, just pop culture. and t- I mean, New York is just, even if you don't know what it is, you know what it is. Um, and I knew it was the place but to go. But for four year I don't why you must have been watching some pretty sophisticated <laughs> television at the Maybe, age of four. Just pop in the VHS watching, tape. Yeah, I don't know. They, well, yeah, they're bringing you up on like Taxi Driver and stuff. Moon, moonlighting, I feel like this one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I just I, and obviously that was a very loose idea. I was like New York. <laughs> uh, my mom used to call me a little New Yorker because I couldn't say my R's as a kid. So I, I really did sound. I would say like the stairs and coffee. You know. Like, so were you aware of what Broadway was? Later on, later on. Yeah, but my mom took me to, to shows and to music and stuff like that um, from a young age. So I definitely was aware and probably along with, you know, early knowing that that happened in New York. So yeah. w- um, where did you go to college here? Uh, I went to Eugene Lang College, part of the New School University. It ended up being a really, a really good place because it was very participation. So is that like an acting conservatory part no. of the New School? No, no, no. That would have been uh, the actor studio, which at that time was part of the New School. Oh, okay. And okay. I was just at the undergraduate liberal arts. Oh, okay. Were you out by the time you came here to go to college? Oh yeah, yeah. So you came out early. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> no, not everybody gets to. No, I know. Yeah. Not no, everybody was, gets to. Yeah, I was. Uh, How again, old were you? Um, well, as we could do a whole conversation about the coming out process, but coming out is not a one-time event. It's an ongoing thing, right? Yes. But um, the, first, the first people I told were my parents when I was 12. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And then friends started at, at 13, so end of middle school, beginning of high school. And by the end of high school, uh, I'm not sure that everyone knew because I, I, I grew up in a sort of conservative suburb. People think California is so, but actually Orange County is a very conservative piece of it and was more so then than it is now. Um, so I don't think a lot of kids even necessarily like would have thought, thought to think like I could be going to school with a queer person. I just, so it, I was out, but I don't think some people would even have picked up. I mean, I had a rainbow on my backpack and some people to this day are like, oh, I didn't know. I don't know how you didn't know, but um, yeah. Wow, not only were you a creative kid, you were a c- courageous kid because not many children at that age have the the cojones to a be that self-aware of what they are. Mm-hmm. So many people flounder for years before they figure out, no, that's not it. This is it. Um, well, ag- again, I had incredibly encouraging, supportive parents, and and my mom actively sought to provide like some queer role models in my life when I. I, I I did a whole show about how I think my mom wanted me to turn out gay, sort of as a joke, but the support was there from a very young age. And so I think that once the some of the quote-unquote signs uh, of at least stereotypical behavior started showing up, um, my mom did try to like create some role models for me, like introduce me to people that, uh, you know, so that I could kind of like recognize it. And so uh, 
That's so amazing. That helps build the courage when, oh when you know you have, when you know that you're not gonna, uh, you know, risk your your family's love. Um, so yes. Thank so you, your mom is still on the planet, hopefully. Yes, mom and dad. Absolutely. Oh, mom, and Mrs. Yeah. Ortiz, I love you. If I ever meet you, I'm giving you the biggest Brooklyn hug. She's that... no longer Mrs. Ortiz. Oh, oh, snap! Oh, snap! So All right, maybe, Mrs. Danny's Dan- mom. Danny's mom. There we go. Yeah, D- Mrs. Danny's mom. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you're at the new school, and it's um the, the early aughts. Yes, early mid aughts. Okay, yeah. did you get your degree? Did you finish? Mm-hmm. I did. Yeah, I did. No, um, not everybody does. No, I know, I know. It was as much as my parents let me do all that. Expo- I, I don't want to say it was an expectation that I would. It was just always understood that I was going to go to college mm. and I was going to graduate. And, well, and college yeah. was a much better in, uh, academic environment for me than high school. I didn't do well with busy work. Kind did of stuff. you excel academically? Yeah, I did. I did. Um, because you got to kind of set your own pace and explore what you wanted mm. to do in a college environment. Um, I mean, even high school teachers are like, oh, you're going to do better in college than you did here. And they were right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I, I, I did well. Um, the degree that I graduated with is, <laughs> I think, a, a BS in liberal studies. Like, no matter what your major or concentration was, you had the same and, degree And you could make so many stand-up jokes. I have a BS yeah. in liberal studies. Yeah, oh, my God. It's official. Yeah, it's official. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So where did you take that BS in liberal <laughs> I carry it with me always in my heart. Um, to retail employment, oh, of course. course. Was, that yeah. how, was that how you supported yourself all through college? Yeah, and to this day, I'm, I, I work in, in retail. Um, Do you work for the same? No. Oh, okay. So retail, because, I mean, that was what I was already doing. But um, also, I, I was starting to sort of realize that I didn't necessarily want to be a playwright. Um, and I was thinking in, in a little bit shorter things. And so I remembered those things we did in high school with Miss Laurie where we got to write our own um, sketches and so I started taking sketch writing classes and I can do a pretty direct line from playwriting to storytelling because I, I took these sketch writing classes and then I took some improv classes all you know at the UCB. And oh, so the, so you went, how did you find out about UCB? By, I had gone to shows there. You didn't um, have any performer friends at that point yet? Not at that point, no, not that they were performing there. Um, I think maybe some friends of mine had friends there, so they were like, oh, we can go see. Mm. But I remember very specifically seeing uh, a show called Showgirls, the best movie ever, ever. Uh, and it was truly the funniest hour of my life to this day, and I do keep lists, so I, I know. I think is, I remember that show title rings a bell. I think that show ran for a long time It kept there. growing, and, yeah. and I went to see it multiple times, and so I really liked some of this, and I saw other shows, but I remember that one uh, really stuck out to me, and, and so I liked stuff that they were doing, and so I, yeah, I started taking sketch classes there, and then a little bit of improv, because it sort of felt like you had to do that if you were getting involved in that world at all, um, and ultimately I hit a point where I, I wasn't in the advanced study classes, but I'd taken all of the earlier preliminary levels uh, and was taking some of them repeatedly and classes filled up immediately. I mean, they would be posted and then within oh, yeah. two minutes. That's, that's such a popular, um, popular, popular yeah. school. And, it was and just like growing, growing people, and you know, go into there thinking, well, I'm going to do all the classes and then I'm going to get on a house team yeah. and then I'm going to be on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. And it's just one, two, three. And no, yeah. it's not. No, it's not. Um, but it was super fun and I, I'm friends with people that I did that with to this day. Um, but at one point, after a couple of years of doing this and, you know, lots of classes um i i just i wasn't able to get into like they were either filling up too fast or they weren't at times i could make it um and then i saw a storytelling class um offered through ucb taught by john flynn who i know has been talked about on your show before yes john flynn yeah. oh hey guys hello yeah, oh, hey guys. he's in yeah. la now absolutely yeah and i realized that one of my friends from sketch class had taken me to 
a storytelling show, which I didn't even identify as story. She was just like, oh, let's go see the show. It's supposed to be good. And it was Risk. Um, I went to see Risk at Joe's Pub, and, I, and John Flynn had been one of the performers. He was teaching class. I was like, wait, I've seen storytelling. I liked that. And John Flynn, I've seen him. He's very funny. And so I took his class, and I mean, the rest is history, but obviously we'll talk a little bit more about it. But that was really, it was because I couldn't get into a, a sketch class and storytelling. And I was like, well, I'll give that a shot. And it oh, just so connected the so The sketch quickly. class was closed, and you were like, well, let me take this? Yeah, I wanted to be in a class. I, I wanted to be doing, some, you know, working so on things. So you got so. into storytelling as a happy accident then? Kind of, yeah. What was the first um, actual show that you ever did? Oh, well, you probably did a class show. We did a class show, absolutely, yeah. And then I, I am the sort of person that if I'm doing something, I'm doing something. So I was going to open mics like after the first week of class. I was like, well, I'll just go try this out. It was sort of a, a dual, it was, oh, hey, guys. Um, oh, okay. My teacher, you know, right. was doing that. And then Julia Whitehouse's Happy Hour Story Hour. That's which, right. I, I um, always forget that she's been doing it for a really yeah. long time. Yeah, they just, uh, she just had uh, her, I believe, five-year anniversary. Um, and I did not realize when I started going to Happy Hour Story Hour that it was a brand new show. I thought it was an established thing. Um, so was one, it at the duplex at that time? No, at that time it was at UCB East, which oh, was a new venue. The Beast. It yes, was a new the venue. UCB East, yes. And, and that was where I started meeting people that really got me into storytelling. A friend of mine that I knew from outside, who was just a friend of mine, was also doing storytelling, and he introduced me to Robin, and you know, and then I met you. And so it just kind of it's like snowballs. It yeah, just snowballs. And it's um, such, you've you've talked about this on your show, and it's just the best community. It is people who are supportive and encouraging and who are there for you and want to listen to you and help you. And uh, there are not a lot of... Each one, teach one. Yeah. Yeah. There just aren't really uh, a lot of jerks in the storytelling community. There, there are some, few. but not a lot. There are a few. Uh, for the most part, people that are willing to make themselves vulnerable and share with a, a room like that are generally people that you can at least be in a room with for a while, you know? Yes, um, yes. So it's, 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 you're, it's you're able to be cordial but distant with people that you don't jive with and, yes. and you don't feel that you can't be in the same room with them yeah. exactly what, what you just said. And there are weird said. things where you, you hear about, like, someone, the time someone lost their virginity before you know what neighborhood they live in. You know, like, you, you get to know them in reverse order because you hear these intensely <laughs> personal true. stories. That's true. You hear a you, story and then yeah. you're like, oh, well, yeah. okay. And, and, and what do you... Like, and what do you do? You know, like, <laughs> so I know about that time that, you know, your uh, father hit you, but um, what's your last name? Right, <laughs> exactly. Like How weird... you... yeah, 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 yeah. It's so weird. Did you do a lot of moths? Yeah, that was another thing that kind of once I found out about it, I just started showing up to those. Wow. So what got you into producing? Um, so my my friend Jonathan Welch, who was my friend that I knew from outside who kind of got me and helped me introduce uh, helped introduce me to people. Um, he was hosting a show, uh, and then he moved to LA, and he wanted the show to continue in New York. And it was uh, at that it was um, a very special episode. I remember and, that. Yeah, and so he moved, and he suggested that Robin and I uh, continue it here as co-hosts. And I I knew Robin moderately well at that point. And her name's coming up a lot because she really helped. Um, yeah, so we, we started co-hosting, and I told, I told Robin at the very beginning, I said, you know, listen, at the, when we start this, I'm going to be learning a lot from you, because you've done this a lot with Yum's the Word and other shows. You've been doing this. I haven't. I don't know what I'm doing. So at first, you're going to be doing the heavy lifting, and I'll be watching and learning, and then hopefully over time, I'll be able to pick up more of that, and uh, both hosting and producing, which often overlap, but not always. Now, what and, made you uh, want to get into producing? Um, it just sounded fun. Uh, I mean, if nothing else, it's a chance to tell 
a story, like a guaranteed chance to tell That's a story. That's true, you have a guaranteed slot. You know, a guaranteed slot. We alternated who told a story at each show in addition to our lineup. Um, and yeah, and it, it just ended up being really fun. And by the end, I, like, I made Robin a horribly ill-fitting spandex costume like from my jazz dance class days uh and we would wear wigs and we would do dance numbers to the theme songs of shows we featured in the you know it was we made it this whole fun silly campy production it was just really fun and those shows, shows were fun i saw i saw more than a few they were always yeah, like a good time a good was time. had by you know, all we were, we were like sorry this isn't the time for your like violent sad sob stories they're valid you should share them but this is like a funny Fun, lighthearted right. show. Dep- you know? Every show has it has its has its different oh, soul yeah. and its different you know its its different vibe. Yeah, and so I liked I liked that, and then when the show ended, I I missed that, and I was looking for what could be next. And um, having then gone on and hosting and producing my own show, um, I just really really love the opportunity to help bring other people's stories to an audience. The curating is um, great. I mean, I I love yeah. that aspect of of putting a show together. Yeah, is you know, you'll get pitches for like a theme, yeah, and just reading through them or listening mm-hmm. to them and deciding. Well, just trying to make the the right mix, yeah. of like funny and bittersweet and, and the something else. And like, yeah, yeah, you know, age, gender, mm-hmm. you know, and kind of want to yes, like mix yes, up identities. Yes, yes, yes. Um, you want a gorgeous mosaic. Yeah. So now you're doing a lot of producing with the Tank Theater, which has become such a champion for storytelling mm-hmm. in our community. Basically, I'm not going to say overnight, but over the past couple of years, they've yeah. really been integral to bringing storytelling to the forefront of their programming mm-hmm. and involving so many people at so many different levels. Yeah. So I, I first did anything with the tank when Susan Kent um, was putting together a festival and asked slash told me to do something for the festival. Um, she said, just say yes, write it later. But, and Pe- I, people tell you to do things a lot, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, okay. I'm pretty open to it, yeah. Um, and um, so I pitched them a show. They were on board. Um, I think we, we worked pretty well together. And then when Susan Kent um, went to Berlin, she, she asked to sort of hand over one festival that she curated every year to me. And so I said yes and learned a lot from doing that, both what not to do and what to do. So it's just been this little bit of a gradual growth in what I'm doing with the tank. But I love them and I would love to work with them more. The one festival that... um you did this year was such a great one. I thought the premise was just genius. Uh, the day I should have. Why don't you talk a little bit about that performance series? Sure. Yeah. So um, it was great. It yeah. just was so good. It sort of straddled the line between a, a mini festival and just a show. And so what I wanted to do was uh, I, I came up with the idea for a show uh, of looking back at the decisions we made or didn't make, and the day I should have. And initially, it was the day I should have left. Uh, was the first idea, and then I kind of expanded that to other things we should have left. Um, I think you mentioned in a previous show, town, the party. Um, the past and the past. And the past. past. Yeah. Um, and so I, I got pitches uh, and from people that I knew that I didn't know that were brand new to storytelling, that had been doing it for a long time. Um, and initially I was going to have three storytellers per show, but I got so many great pitches, I, I booked four. Isn't that great? Um, yeah. A was, plethora said, of pitches. Yes, a, a plethora, plethora of talent. Um, and... And then what I really wanted to do as well was have not just stories presented, but also a chance, if the storytellers were interested, to work on their stories a little bit beforehand, give some notes or feedback, see if there's anything they were struggling with or wanted to address. I really appreciated that, by the way. You know, sometimes sometimes you're a little reticent to present work that you know is still in progress Mm -hmm. with somebody because I think sometimes it's more difficult to do it 
in a one-on-one -on -one aspect mm -hmm. than it is to perform it and let see how it flies into a room of strangers. Room, yeah. But I really, it was it was very helpful. Thanks, and it was an option. It wasn't required. Mm -hmm. If someone said no, I'm good, that was fine. It wasn't going to yeah, preclude yeah. them from being considered. Um, but it was great because it gave me a chance to kind of hear the stories beforehand. And and obviously, I wasn't coming and saying like, oh, cut this, fix it. It was more. Is there anything that you would like to work on, or are there questions you have about what comes across? Or, you know, actually, yeah, your story was four minutes long. Let's talk about where we could reduce it a bit, um, just for the runtime. And then what was also key to me was that um, almost half the show is devoted to a Q&A. And so after the stories, we had a discussion where the audience could ask the performers questions, the storytellers could ask each other questions, I could ask questions, um, because I do think that stories are the start of a dialogue, and it's about connection. Um, and it was really, really exciting for me to see that kind of open up to make it a little bit more of a conversation between the audience, the performer, the performer, and the performer, the host, and the like It just became this. It just was just talk. a whole conversation. Yeah. That was it. It was yeah. a giant conversation. Um, do you find yourself now more loving producing or more loving telling stories? Well, what I love is that I don't have to choose between the two. Um, I think that there are definitely people out there in any creative field who do one or the other. Um, but I, you can do both. You can. You know, it, it scratches different itches. Um, yeah, that's a good way to put so, it. And, yeah. and it fills up different empty spaces. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the joy, the thrill that I get from seeing a story that I've maybe helped work on with someone connect to an audience, like that fulfills like one little piece of my heart. And then for me to share things that I've gone through and have people relate to them or mm. say, oh, I had no idea. Like, that there's like another little ventricle that kind of gets you know so uh, I I wouldn't want to ever choose one or the other. Um, and then and there's that thrill of the story well told mm -hmm. when you know that you nailed it. Yeah. And on that note, a little Pascal told me that you have a little story that you're going to share with us. Sure. All right, Danny Ortiz, producer and storyteller. Sure. So this was uh, a few years into my time in New York, and I was getting out of a breakup uh, a little bit heavier than when I had entered it. And so I thought that perhaps I should consider joining a gym if I was going to be entering the market again, so to speak. Um, and so I called around a few places and I booked an introductory workout uh, at a somewhat local gym that was just far enough from work or home that I wouldn't ever see anyone that I knew. And um, I showed up, uh, which was the first victory. Uh, I didn't cancel the appointment. And I knew almost immediately that it was not going to be what I wanted it to be when I met my trainer. Uh, not because there was anything wrong with her, uh, her, her look or demeanor. It was because of her name, which was Fela. And here I was already nervous about going to a gym, which in my mind was just this sort of like temple of abs and biceps. And uh, I, I possessed none of these things that I knew of. And so uh, here I am already like sort of questioning whether this is going to be a, a good place for me. Like my body was saying, no, Danny, the gym is not a place for you. And then they put me with a trainer named Fela. Uh, but I didn't want to be rude, so we went out onto the gym floor and we started doing this workout routine. And I have to say, it was surprisingly easy. I was doing things like standing on one foot while holding a weight, and then standing on the other foot while holding a weight. And it was coming so easily to me that I started thinking, if I'm in shape enough to handle this attempt to get into shape so well, maybe I'm not out of shape enough to need to get back into shape. Um, but I, you know, I continued through the workout and I, and we started talking as we were doing some of these exercises about my concerns and, and hesitation to join a gym, um, in the first place. And Fela had a couple reasons that I should throw those concerns to the wayside and enroll at the gym. Uh, the first of which was that I might pull something in the shower, um, I guess from very aggressive loofah-ing or something. Um, 
And the second, second of two, she had two reasons for me, and this was the second of two, was that I could fall off a curb. Because apparently, the extra weight that I was carrying would just throw my center of gravity so far off that I would just fall off a curb. Um, and I, I didn't really find these to be compelling reasons to join a gym, so I kind of knew then and there that I wasn't going to take her on as a trainer. Um, and when the workout was done and she said, you know, I'd really like to have you as a client. You know, do, you want, do you want to proceed with that? Uh, I didn't want to be rude, so I told her that I would think about it. Uh, which was true because even though the, it hadn't really worked so well with her, the gym itself was it was clean, it was bright, it was um, easy enough to handle the workout in. Um, and so I thought maybe it would be a place that I would return to. Uh, and I thought while I was there before I left, I better uh, sneak in and take a little bit of advantage of the steam room because I'd never been in one. And on TV, they always look like the most relaxing, like fancy places. Um, and so I wanted to try one out. And uh, I, I hopped in, and it was like about the size of the living room in my studio apartment at the time. And I had it all to myself, and I just sort of like blissed out and breathed in the, I don't know if it's eucalyptus or whatever it was. And um, just, ah, this is nice. Um, and then um, this was like midday on a weekday, so then a few like, middle-aged businessmen came in and they very diplomatically each sat on a different wall. So we each had our own wall. There was no invasion of space or anything and it was fine uh, until they kind of started looking at each other like, like to me like maybe inmates in the yard would the day they were going to bust out of the joint um, and I was getting kind of nervous because uh, a plan was being hatched, but I didn't know what felt worse, like that that was happening or that I wasn't being included in it. Um, but it ended up being fine because uh, the first step of their plan was to um, arouse themselves. Uh, and, and step two was, you know, there was a lot of sweat and steam available, and they used that to full advantage. Um, and I can see in your face uh, that you might be thinking, Danny, that, that sounds really uncomfortable. Why didn't you leave the steam room. And I agree, in retrospect, that would have been a brilliant thing to do. Um, but I very clearly, very specifically remember this exact thought running through my head. If I leave right now, they're going to know it's because of them. And I didn't want to be rude, so I stayed. But I had a plan of my own. I pretended to be taking a nap. Uh, and so I, I leaned back and I closed my eyes um, and sort of, quote unquote, drifted off um, to the sounds of what I can only s describe as like a, a swarm of eels swimming through a pool of jello. Um, marinate in that for a moment. And then when that was, uh, when, when that was done, when they had satisfactorily completed their, their plan, I opened my eyes and I, I stretched and I woke up from my nap that I was only pretending to take and I marched right out of the gym um, and that steam room never, never to return uh, because you know, as it turns out, my, my body was right and the gym was no place for me. Your body was right and the gym was wrong. That gym exactly. was, wrong, was with wrong. A, that gym was wrong with the silent W. Yes. R O N G. R O N G. That's the day that's a day I should have left the story. The <laughs> exactly. day I should have left I the steam. I definitely should have left I yeah. should have left the steam in the pot. Oh and my god. I've gotten god. such mixed reactions telling like half half the people are like, Oh my god and then half are like, Well yeah, that's what happens. Who knew? I didn't. Yeah. So Wow, that that's that that's a story, man. So, um, Danny, what's next up for you on the horizon? Well, speaking of the tank, as we were earlier, well, they, don't they don't just... don't talk about anything that's too time specific. Sure. Because I'm not sure when this is going to run. Sure. Yeah. No. Um, but I, what I will say yes. is that um, I did get the kind of stamp of approval that there will be a season two of the day I should have. That's fantastic. Um, coming up in a while. Yeah. So in 2019. Most likely. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So. 
It's, it seems far away, but it's not. <laughs> so, so if people want to learn more about you and your fabulousness, where can they go? Um, well, I'm, I'm a big fan of saying, like, don't follow me on social media. Say hello in person if we ever run into each other. But uh, if you want to know where you can do that. Um, do you have a website? Not yet. Working on that. Um, but uh, for, for the time being, like, I try to announce things on Instagram. I'm Danny Tells Stories. Uh, and then, I mean, just sort of Facebook and whatnot. But. Okay. Do you, are you a big tweeter? No. No, me either. I don't. I, no. I, I, I haven't yet gotten the what it's. It's useful, but I but I can't figure out how to do it yet. Michelle can't be limited to 140 characters. Wow, God. No, I can, but whatever. So, Danny, I asked this question of everybody when we get to the end of our chat. If you had any word of encouragement or advice for a young person who wants to and who may be in a situation where it seems that things are stacked against them and because they're a child, they don't know how to access the creative spark that's mm-hmm. in them, or to make their dreams come true. What sure. would you tell this child? Uh, a child or anyone older who is feeling the same thing. I think it's... Uh, you it's were the first person to, to put an older slant on that. Yeah, I think a lot of people have uh, dis- d- diminished their spark for various reasons. But um, I-, I think one word, try. Um, just give it a shot um, when, when possible and where possible. And if there aren't opportunities being presented, make your own. I, I think we're you know, between social media and so many things, people are creating opportunities for themselves rather than waiting for someone else to recognize the star they are. Um, and so if an opportunity isn't presenting itself to you, create your own. And just try, and if it doesn't work the way you thought, try again. And it's not necessarily a failure, it's just an opportunity to try something differently the next time. So in other words, take any setback and turn it into a setup. And just keep going. Yeah. yeah. You're one foot in front of the other. Yeah. Wise words from a wise man. There we go. With really pretty nail polish. Oh my God, I want that color to bed. Danny, thank you so much for being on thank Fish Out of you. Mama. Hug on the air. Hug on the air. Because we always end mm. with a hug on the air. Fake kiss, real hug. <laughs>
Grace Potter and the Nocturnals from the album by their same name in 2010. And that was another one of Danny Artez's picks for his episode. Yeah, wow, we had such a great conversation there, and I'm really looking forward to see what Danny comes up with next. A little bit of housekeeping. Did you know that Radio Free Brooklyn, the station that you're listening to, is actually a 501 parenthesis C three nonprofit organization. Yes, we are legit people and our mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community promoting media literacy, education, and free expression. But and I know I'm gonna sound a little sound a little bit like Channel 13 here, we rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Help support us. Please, we invite you to make a one time donation or monthly pledge at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org forward slash donate. Every cent helps us continue to stay on the air. Please support independent community media by pledging whatever you can afford. All contributions are tax deductible to the fullest extent of the law. Again, that's RadioFreeBrooklyn.org forward slash donate. Well, kids, that's our show. You have been listening to Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. We're going to end with the last of Danny's picks, from Janet Jackson and her Unbreakable album in 2015. That song is called Gonna Be Alright. And I'm going to partner that with another song from her brother Michael, Rock With You, from Off the Wall in 1979. Stay tuned for Brooklyn Bandstand next, and we'll see you next week. Woohoo!
you love someone, you better tell him now. Tell him, tell him, tell him.